we've been diving into a series that we've uh, uh, been talking about, Second uh, Corinthians. When we began, we began with the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, where we saw where Paul began the church, where not he began the church, but uh, through proclamation, Christ began the church through Paul's ministry, and uh, it was established and started to grow. We, we saw that it was a, a pretty important community. It was a port community, and uh, there was two ports on either side of, uh, of the city, and, and they would often transfer stuff uh, uh, through uh, over that small um, mass of land versus go all the way around. Uh, we learned that uh, the church was established first in the synagogue, but eventually they got pushed out of the synagogue and into a house church. Uh, Paul has been working with this church. He's uh, up in Macedonia. He's, he's spending time with other churches. He's promised to go back. He has gone back. He's written numerous letters. There's all kinds of tension here. And again, today we're going to see how Paul is dealing with some of this tension. Uh, we've learned a few things as, we, as we've kind of gone through the book of Corinthians in chapter 1. The first few uh, verses there, we've learned that God is the God of all comfort. And we talked about the importance in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our challenges, to look to Him. He's the one who's able to comfort. It's a promise, it's a declaration uh, to you and to I that He will show up in a powerful way and He will bring comfort to us. Uh, we continued on in our journey, and we, we, we dove into uh, chapter 2, where we learned about the discipline of an individual in the church because of some sort of sexual immorality, more than likely. Uh, he wasn't responding. He was pushing back. He, he didn't like what Paul was saying, but as the church disciplined him, he repented, and forgiveness was extended. And Paul said to them, listen, forgive him. Encourage him. Show your love and affection to him. Welcome him back in. Uh, we kind of continued on, and we talked about how Jesus Christ is the general. He's the leader. He's the conqueror. And he leads us in a triumphal pro- procession, and how that was a Roman thing, and how, how Paul, Paul was a prisoner to Christ. He was on his way uh, to where he would ultimately pay the price with his life. And we talked about how that was also a part of Acts chapter 9, and on the road to Damascus, where Paul was told that he'll suffer much for the sake of the gospel. Then uh, uh, last week we looked at the importance of Jesus and how he is our sufficiency. Not only is he our sufficiency, but he's our confidence. And our confidence and uh, trust is in Jesus Christ. And we are the aroma of Christ. We bring life to those who are living and death to those who are perishing. How Jesus Christ is sufficient for us. And, And ultimately we landed by realizing that Jesus uh, has given his spirit And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Freedom and transformation. He is transforming us into the, uh, I'm sorry, into Christ-likeness through the work of His Spirit. Uh, Today we're going to um, continue our journey and we're going to read the first uh, six verses of chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read the first six verses. We're continuing our journey through the book of Corinthians. And again, some of these layers that we've been talking about are going to be evident in the way that Paul unpacks some important truths for us. As we dive into this, we're going to see a couple of themes sort of come up to the top. We're going to see the, the theme of the power of the gospel, that the gospel is sufficient, that we can trust the gospel, that God's work in us is more important than his work through us. Visible is as important, I mean, the visible isn't as important as the invisible. 
what God is doing in and through us. And Jesus is the image of God and his glory. Here now from God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statements of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it is alive and active. Even as we read your scripture, it bears witness to who you are in your character. And it begins to do a work in us that will will be accomplished as you set forth. And so, Lord, we know that you are here in all your presence. We know that you want to work in our lives and draw us near to you. You are keenly aware of who we are, the struggles and battles, the victories, the failures of yesterday. And you know the challenges, the hopes, the battles that lie ahead, for you are eternal. And so by the power of your Spirit here this morning, as we dive into your word, would you awaken your truth in us and transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Notice how Paul begins this uh, next portion of Scripture. He starts with, therefore. And many times I've said, whenever you see therefore, you always always have to ask the question, therefore, what for, who for, where for? Why is therefore there? It's a connective statement. It helps us understand that he's connecting it to the the previous chapter. Well, we're keenly aware of what he's talking about because last week we unpacked that chapter. And so we have a sense of what he's connecting to here. He's talking about the sufficiency of Christ, how our confidence has to be in Christ. As he's about to change the the train of thought, we have to rest in that truth. In addition, he's talking about the reality that as the spirit of the living God falls upon us, he brings freedom. But not just freedom, he brings transformation to you and I. He is transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Therefore, in light of those truths, in light of that reality, he says we have been given a ministry He's, he's given us a ministry. We're, we're, we're not simply to be, be saved and then put off to the side and sit on the bench and watch life go by. No, instead, he's giving us a ministry, and it's a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry that helps those who are perishing to come to terms with the lostness of their lives, a ministry that helps them come to terms with that and gives them hope in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, because our sufficiency is in Christ, therefore, because our confidence is in Christ, therefore, because the spirit of the living God is transforming us into the likeness of Christ, and there is freedom, we have a ministry. And it's a ministry of reconciliation. 
And not only is it a ministry of reconciliation, it's, it's by the mercy of God. It's not by your strength, your wisdom, your ability to live out the Christian faith, not at all. It's by God's mercy. You can't do this. You can't earn it. You, 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 you can't put together enough discipline or strengths or works to accomplish the ministry that God has set for you. This is the good news. And so in that, we have freedom. We have freedom to rest in the work of Christ in us, that it is sufficient, that it will accomplish the goal that he wants to accomplish in us and through us. By his mercy, by his grace, we won't lose heart. Hmm. We won't lose heart. (laughs) I love this promise that God is making to you and to me. Isn't that a great promise? You won't lose heart. You won't get discouraged. You won't give up. You'll press on. You'll keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ the Lord. For he is sufficient. For he's our confidence. For the spirit of the living God is bringing transformation into your life. I love this promise that that we won't give up. Why? Because of the mercy of God, not our strength, not our merit, not our discipline. We won't lose heart. Why? Because God is the God of all comfort. God is the one who's able to, to fan the flame in the midst of discouragement. God is the one who's able to carry us in the midst of our weakness. God is able to see us through. We won't, we won't lose heart. Now, friends, we do lose heart, don't we? <laughs> at times we get discouraged. At, at times we, 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 we struggle and we wonder and we want to give up. We want to quit. Isn't that true? Am I alone in this? No. No, but the truth of the matter is, is when I'm getting discouraged... If I'm honest with myself, when I'm losing heart in the midst of the ministry that God has called me to, it's because I'm looking at myself. I'm considering my weakness. I'm considering my brokenness. I'm considering my insufficiency. I'm allowing the expectations of others to sit on the throne of my heart instead of the expectations of Christ, I become a people pleaser instead of one who seeks to please Jesus Christ the Lord. Yes, we lose heart. But the reason we lose heart is because we've lost focus on Him. We lose heart because we've looked at ourselves. We've allowed others and their expectations to lead and direct us. We've allowed them to set the metrics by which we determine success. See, but when we keep our eyes fixed on him, he is sufficient in all things. When our confidence is in him and not in ourselves, he is more than enough. When the spirit of the living God is at work in our lives, friends, there's freedom. 
Freedom from the expectations of others. Freedom from, from the weight of the ministry. Freedom and transformation. We do not lose heart because God is merciful. He, he's loving, he's kind, he's gentle. He is more than enough. Notice what verse 2 says, and, and this underlines this reality that Paul is dealing with. He goes on to say this, we, we don't lose heart, but we renounced, we have renounced, I'm sorry, disgraceful, or a better way of, uh, of unpacking that is shameful or, or, or shameful acts. We've, we've renounced disgraceful or shameful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tampering with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Hmm. Here's the problem in the church of Corinth. I've mentioned a few times there's these super apostles who have come in with letters of recommendation. Uh, the church has, has accepted them as, as teachers, and these are great teachers. They are affluent in every way, charismatic. The church is paying them, housing them, listening to them, and... Um, they're saying, get rid of Paul. They're handling God's word in disgraceful ways. They're underhanded. They're self-serving. They're cunning. This is who they are. See, Paul indirectly is confronting them. Indirectly, he's readjusting the focus of the church of Corinth and helping them to understand that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ does not require any of this. That the work in Paul is more important than the work through Paul. Let me just say that one more time. The work in Paul is more important than the work through Paul. The invisible is more important than the visible. See, these prophets, these super apostles that are coming in, I mean, they are showy from all accounts. They, they seem to have it all together. The evidence of their ministry is overwhelming. <laughs> the visible is fantastic. Now, Paul, on the other hand, no, he isn't all that great. He's poor. As a matter of fact, as we read in Acts chapter 18, Paul was surviving by making tents with uh, Aquila and Priscilla. He's struggling along. Not these super apostles. Paul is weak. We hear that all through the passage. We've talked about the weakness of Paul, that, that he's not able to do the things that he's being called to do. He, he has to rely and depend on God. He talks about his trip to Troas where God opens a door for him to walk through and preach the gospel, expand the kingdom. But in his weakness and concern for the church of Corinth, he, he, he heads up to Macedonia and doesn't take advantage of what God has called him to. He is weak. Uh, these super apostles, they are strong and charismatic. They, they don't make any mistakes. They are visually Awesome. Paul's, Paul's not the, the best speaker. 
we read that in the New Testament, how, how when he came, he was, <laughs> people were like, oh, not that great of a speaker, great writer. Uh, speaking, uh, not so much. The super apostles, now, they were great at speaking. See, Paul is coming after them. He's, he's saying it's more important what God is doing in and through you than, than the product that everyone else would seek to affirm. He says we renounce disgraceful, shameful, underhanded ways. See, it's not about how many people respond. It's not about how big the ministry is. See, if, if that's the, the, the uh, core value, if that's the metric, listen, then, then we will be pragmatic in the way that we do ministry. Because the ends justifies the mean. It's, it's how many people we can gather together. It's, it's how, many, how, many, uh, 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 how, how visually awesome are we that the world would go, look at that ministry. We'll do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter if we're disgraceful. It doesn't matter if what we're doing is inappropriate, underhanded, deceitful. It doesn't matter. But it does matter. It does matter. It matters to God. And, and so uh, Paul is saying, let's not do things that are shameful. Let's not do underhanded approaches in declaring the gospel. No, refuse to practice cunning or tampering with God's word. <laughs> this is a temptation for all of us, isn't it? Because we get our identity so often from those around us instead of from Christ and his pleasure. It's hard at times to be faithful in ministry when there's no visual response. It's hard at times to allow the metric to simply be the pleasure of God. feels good when we can visually see the effect of God's ministry in us and through us. So, let's not talk about hell because that will scare people away. Let's not talk about judgment because, because how do we navigate through that? Uh, let's not talk about the cross and the blood of Christ which atones for our sin. No, let's soften it. Let's not mention sin because if we talk about sin, it may push people away. You, you see, see how this happens? Ever so gently. See, Paul is saying here, we, we refuse to do these kinds of things. It's not about the product at the end that everyone applauds. It's about the, the, the pleasure and the glory of God. Our confidence is in Christ. Our sufficiency is in Christ. Not our ability to, to, to gain followers. If they're following us, we have erred greatly. We refuse to practice cunning. We refuse to tamper with God's word. But instead, we, by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Isn't that great? 
by the open statement of truth, by, by declaring the full counsel of God, by, by talking about the things that aren't so comfortable, by sharing the full counsel, by declaring the truth and not holding back, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. I, I, I love the inclusivity of that statement. Everyone needs to hear. It's, it's not for a select few. No, no we, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. How? By the mercy of God. You and I, we can't do this. You and I, we, we, we can't manufacture this. Well, we, we can't accomplish the goal in and of ourselves, but by God's mercy, we refuse to lose heart. We renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tampering with God's word, but with an open statement of the truth. In essence, we let the chips fall where they may for everyone's conscience. I love the broadness of this. And we do this in the sight of God. He's our judge. He's the one who enables. It's his pleasure that affirms us to continue on. I love that. Now, does that mean we should never take note of what's happening? Well, I think that that would be error too. We need metrics. We, we need to be conscious of what's happening. L- listen, friends. The, the message is offensive. The cross is offensive. It's foolishness to those who are wise. We don't need to be offensive. <laughs> Make sense? Sometimes we can be so fixated on the message, i got to be careful how I say this so I'm not misunderstood, that we become offensive in our approach. Make sense? And we always got to measure our method. Our methods are critical, and we have to measure. Some methods are better than other methods. Make sense? Some methods are just downright offensive. And we need to measure those things. But the message never changes. Make sense? Are you tracking with me? Yeah, okay. We need to measure and keep track of what's happening. When we do open-air evangelism... Some of you go, ah, open air. Uh, I do open air because it works. I don't do it because it's offensive. It's commending the truth with, before everyone's conscience, before everyone. I, I enjoy it, and, and it's effective. But not every location is effective. I've preached to the streetlights. It's terribly difficult. Have you ever done that? 
It's brutal. Chicago, Michigan Ave. Go down to Chicago. Have you ever been there? Michigan Ave. I'm sure you've gone to Michigan. It's, it's a very affluent place. I'll never forget taking a team with me. I think there was 12 of us. And uh, what an adventure. All from the church. It was awesome. Uh, every age bracket. Uh, we were on Michigan Ave, and I'll never forget this. We had our paint board set up. And we preached for two hours. One person stopped. Imagine. I can still remember John Seba. We used to call him Sabinski. <laughs> he was a retired manufacturer, worked at a GM plant. He was an elder at the church. I can still remember him begging people as they walked by to stop and hear the gospel. I can remember thinking, I don't know if that's really effective. <laughs> Uh, another guy was with us. His name was Paul Adams. I, I had convinced him to come by telling him all these stories of open-air evangelism. He was an engineer. I can still remember leaving Michigan Ave. We, we brought a bunch of tracks and a backpack to hand them out. Not only did no one stop, we might have handed out 30 or 40 tracks, like nothing. I've gone where we've handed out thousands of tracks in an afternoon. Unbelievable. I remember walking back to the class. There's two teams. Our team and then another team went to the marketplace. And I'm talking to Paul, and Paul says to me, you know, Scott, it's better than nothing, but that don't work. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, that was pretty rough. I've never seen it that rough before. Now, when we get back, there was another team in the marketplace, and we debrief in the classroom. <laughs> now, the other team was a group of people with no speakers. As a matter of fact, most of the people on the other team didn't want to be there. They felt like they were tricked into coming. <laughs> Just being honest. No one tricked them. I was surprised that some of them were there. I can remember the first night we were in the dorm, the windows open, and we hear six shots out the window because there was a gunfight. <laughs> and the guy with me, who was a young dad, looks at me and goes, what are we doing? <laughs> and I go, I don't know. And then we heard the sirens, eh? <laughs> They'll keep us safe. Anyways. They weren't orators. They weren't great preachers. They weren't even sure they wanted to be there. In their weakness, he's made strong. So, of course, we go first because we're all the loud talkers, our team. How'd it go? Terrible. How many stopped? One. I didn't tell you this. The person who stopped was a Christian. It's true. She was checking our doctrine. <laughs> After the meeting, she found out I was a leader, and she pulled me off and said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yep. Do you believe in sin? Yep. Is he the only way? Yep. Okay, good. I'm on my way. <laughs> How productive is that? So we share, and it's pretty discouraging. On the verge of losing heart. Then the other team begins. And they tell the story of their first meeting. Adam Young was preaching, a young electrician. 
And he says, I was standing there doing the three rope trick. You guys have seen that? He said, I was shaking so bad that the ropes fell on the ground. <laughs> this crowd gathered around us, and this uh, lady goes, Come on, you can do it! They're cheering him on. <laughs> he picks him up, and he barely gets it out. They give invitation. A bunch of people responded. They had another meeting. More people responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They came back with almost no tracks. They had given them all away. They were so excited. You could feel the enthusiasm in the room. And I remember Paul Adams, who said, it's better than nothing. But it doesn't work. Sitting there going, what? See, we need to measure our method and make sure our method is no offensive. But our message... No, our, our message, it needs to be the open, open statement of the truth of God's word before everyone's conscience. In the sight of God, he's our judge. And so measurement is important, but more important is the pleasure of God. The pleasure of God. See, I believe God was pleased that day on Michigan Ave because we persevered, which is a fruit of the Spirit. We found joy in the midst of discouragement, which is a fruit of the Spirit. We were comforted and found freedom in Him because we were faithful. And I think God was pleased with the group that was at the marketplace because though their ropes dropped and in their frailty and in their weakness... God showed up and people got saved and lives were changed for eternity. See, we need to be faithful with God's word. We need to declare the truth of God's word without reservation for everyone's conscience in the sight of God and may we know his pleasure. He goes on to say this in verse 3 that even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Hmm. There's a reality here. Not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will call on the name of Christ. Not everyone will receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People will push back. People will say they don't want it. People, people will, will say, enough already. People will get angry. Even to the point of destroying the messenger. History proves it. We live in a time where more people are being martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ than all, all throughout history. It's happening in our day. If the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, those who've not received the gospel, those who've turned their back on Christ. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. The moment you enter into, uh, spirit, uh, into the, the ministry of declaring the gospel by the mercy of God, the moment you enter into the sufficiency of Christ and your confidence is in him, listen, the moment you engage in declaring the good news is the moment you enter into spiritual warfare. Make no mistake. The God of this world is blinding the hearts and minds of those who are perishing. You enter in. F friends, 
That's why prayer is so important. That's why Wednesday night prayer meeting is critical. If we're going to move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's in our weakness, in our frailty. It's when we gather together in unison and say, Jesus, we need you. Change us. Transform us. May we declare by your mercy the gospel. We can't do it on our own strength. We, we need Jesus Christ. That's why Monday morning prayer with uh, the fellows is so important. The church moves forward through prayer. It's why uh, Monday afternoon, the women who gather together to call on the name of the Lord, it's out of weakness. This is, it, prayer meeting is craziness, isn't it? Maybe here you go, no. What are you saying? Go tell your friend who's not a believer that you're going to spend an hour praying because it's the best thing you can do with that hour. <laughs> and see what they look at you like. See how they... <laughs> really? Prayer is an act of humility. God, I can't do this. God, you, you have to show up. This is spiritual war for the God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of those who are perishing, who do not believe. Listen, friends. Your neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is blinded by the God of this world. Your coworker who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is blinded by the God of this world. And there's a bit of irony in this statement because, because let, let's, let's just name this, Satan is not the God of this world. <laughs> he, he isn't. He's been defeated at the cross. There, there's irony here. And, and Satan has no power except what we yield to him. No, all authority has been given to Christ. Listen, Satan has no authority. It's been given to Christ. And, and he sits on the right hand, and he's given to us authority and power through Jesus Christ the Lord, who is the one who makes us sufficient, who's the one who gives us confidence. We rest in the truth of God's word. We present it to people with, with passion. We present it to people with confidence that it'll finish and accomplish the goal that God has in it. There's irony here. And it's in our weakness we're made strong. God, we can't take on the God of this world. You need to. And when my people gather together and humble themselves and call on my name, oh, I am there. Friends, this is so contrary to how the Corinthians were operating in ministry. And dare I say, it's contrary to the way that the West operates in ministry. We don't see the value in the battle on Wednesday night, Monday morning, Monday afternoon. We spend more time on strategy than we do on our knees. God forgive us. 
It's about our sufficiency and our strength and our wisdom. And the physical, friends, the physical will not conquer the spiritual. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. For our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. Oh, oh, that we would, that we would lean into Jesus Christ the Lord. And we allow him to shine the light of the gospel through us for the sake of the kingdom. Notice what it goes on to say. He keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel. They live in the darkness of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I love that. He's the image of God. That's, that's, why, that's why God said, make no other image. Worship me. Because Jesus is the image of God. Friends, not just Jesus, you were created in the image of God. That's what Genesis says. He created man and woman in his own image. But sin has corrupted it. Sin has tainted every aspect of the image of God that you've been imprinted with. It, 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 it has corrupted it. Jesus Christ is the image of God. And what does he say in chapter 3? He says what? He says that it is the spirit of the living God who comes and gives us freedom. And what? Transforms us into the likeness of Christ. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, it's not about going to heaven. That's a byproduct of salvation. You're redeemed. The sin that you, you have uh, committed has been uh, uh, judged on the cross. When, when you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, listen friends, he begins to do a work of transformation in your life that you would bear the image of Christ. Isn't that great? What does that look like? Oh, perfect love. That's what it looks like. Perfect love. What does it look like? Joy. What does it look like? Kindness. What does it, what does it look like? Self-control. What does it look like? Perseverance. What, what does it look like? The fruit of the Spirit. transform us we can't change ourselves we can't do this it's a work of the spirit in us that's why Paul is so adamant it's not about how many converts you have in your evangelistic efforts it's about what Christ did in you. It's not about how big the ministry that you're a part of is. It's about Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
Paul is turning the Corinthian world upside down. He's refocusing them on Jesus Christ the Lord, who is sufficient, who is their confidence. See, we don't preach or proclaim ourselves. It's not about our ministry or Spruce Grove Alliance Church's ministry. Listen, friends. We could have a gargantuous building packed out here every Sunday and totally have missed the mark because we preached ourselves. It's not about that. It's about Jesus Christ the Lord. It's about his gospel. See, we preach not or proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. Better translation, slave, for Jesus' sake. Now think about that. Paul says, twice he says this. Many times he says, I'm a slave or a bondservant of Christ, a slave by choice. But in this text he's saying to the church of Corinth, listen, listen, because Jesus Christ is Lord and that's what we're proclaiming, I'm your slave for the sake of Jesus. (laughs) The Corinthians don't like him. Uh, the Corinthians want to get rid of him. The, the Corinthians has denied his message, his practice. They've denied his, his, his lifestyle. They've denied him as an apostle. And Paul's saying, I'm your slave. Whoa. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, I'm your slave. I'm here to serve. I'm here for the cause of Christ. I'm here as a work of transformation. See, I would suggest this, that the church of Corinth revealed Paul's weakness and his need for Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. See, he, he couldn't give up. He had to lean in. He had to continue on for the sake of Christ who was at work in him and through him. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. But it's in those moments of difficulty, it's in those moments of of challenge that we find our sufficiency in Christ. May we not resent the difficulty, but may we lean in and receive the work of Christ in and through us. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, as we lean in, as God does this transformational work, as we, as we look to him and his sufficiency, as we embrace our weakness, He's made strong, and he shines the light of the gospel, the glory of God in and through us, that the world who's been blinded by the God of this world would see Jesus Christ the Lord. Friends, these seven verses are about the power of the gospel. You can trust it. Preach and live out the word of God. Allow it to accomplish its ends, its means, its goal. Trust the word 
You don't have to manipulate it. You don't have to change it. You don't have to, you know, kind of protect and insulate the world that is lost from the truth of the gospel. God's work in us is more important than his work through us. Don't, don't get discouraged by the response of others. No, lean in. Don't get discouraged when people uh, push back on you. Don't lean in. For Jesus is the image of God, and Jesus is redeeming us. There's a new way of living. Be filled with the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit may be evident in and through us, which is the hope and glory of the world. Let's stand together. Friends, maybe you're here and you're starting to realize that the God of this world has blinded you from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you believe the lie that you're good enough, that you're sincere, that, that God will take you the way you are, and that's your hope. Friends, God will take you the way you are, but through Jesus Christ the Lord. Come clean with him. Acknowledge your sin, your independence. Come clean with him. Acknowledge that you are broken and that you deserve judgment, the wrath of God. But receive today what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Call on his name and receive the free gift and allow the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to begin a work in you. For tomorrow and for all eternity. Did you trust him today? Friends, maybe you've trusted Christ and you long that your neighbor, your, your sibling, your parent, your child, your co-worker, your best friend would know Christ. But truth be told, you've insulated them. You've practiced cunning. You've tampered with God's word ever so lightly. You haven't trusted it. Friends, if that's you today, Confess and receive his mercy and grace. Do not lose heart. Lean in. Friends, Jesus Christ is the image of God. He's at work in and through you. Maybe today you are discouraged. Maybe today you lack joy. Look to Jesus Christ. Don't allow others to be your judge. Look to him. Allow him to reveal his pleasure. Enjoy the freedom of the Spirit. And allow the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in you and through you. And so, Lord, you know where we stand today. You know our victories and our failures. You know, Lord Jesus, our fears and our concerns. And yet, you're more than a conqueror. 
And so even now, Lord, as some may call in your name for the very first time, set them free, we pray, by the precious blood of the Lamb and begin your work of transformation in their lives, we ask. God, thank you that you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. Help us to unashamedly present God's word right time in the right spirit as you lead and direct forgive us when we've held back forgive us when we thought we knew better than you did Lord Jesus teach us to pray teach us to walk with you transform us into your likeness we ask May the fruit of the Spirit be evident in us and through us. In Jesus' name.